so um, we're going to dig into the Lord's Word this morning, and I'm, I'm really pumped about continuing our sermon series uh, called Jesus Is. So our series called Jesus Is, we're going to dig into that. So uh, this coming weekend, I'm in a wedding, and I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but I was just thinking last night, I was talking with a friend, and I was just thinking about how I wish that I knew uh, when I got married what I know now about being married. And I think I could save myself a ton of headaches, a ton of problems, a ton of arguments, probably a ton of uh, issues if I knew then what I know now. And I'm only, what, 11, 10, 11 years? <laughs> 11 years into marriage. And I, I think probably in another 10 years, I'll probably say the same thing. I'll probably look back and go, I wish 10 years ago I knew what I know now. Um, I wish that uh, when I was 16 years old, I knew that I wasn't the best driver on the road. I wish I had known then that, uh, that I'm not the, 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 the best driver behind the wheel of a car. But I didn't know that, and it took me five speeding tickets in that first year to figure it out that I'm maybe not the best driver in the world. Um, the thing is, um, you just don't know what you don't know. And there's a, there's a lot of room for humility, and a good, a good dose of humility would take you a long way, right? So you just don't know what you don't know. So that leads us into our text, because Jesus is in the middle of an argument, a discussion, with some Jews who didn't know what they didn't know. And uh, they, they have a, a pretty vicious argument together. I want to encourage you to read the whole passage of John 8, 31 through 59. But in this moment... Uh, we're, we're going to dig in uh, to John 8, verses 48 through 59. So why don't you take your Bibles and stand with me wherever you are, if you're comfortable doing that. Last week, somebody told me that their dog even stood up. The whole room stood up, and the dog in the living room stood up. I thought, there you go. Thank you, Fido. All right, so John chapter 8, we're going to read the last bit of it, verses 48 to the end of the chapter, and we stand in honor of God's Word, and here's what the Scriptures say. The Jews answered him, Jesus, they answered him, Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? But Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets that died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If, I glorify, if it is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Father, uh, we look to your word now to uh, expose the truth about Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we read these holy scriptures because they tell us who you are. And so God, uh, today, as we seek to answer the question, Jesus is, would you reveal to us some depth about what he said here when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Would you show us the truth about Christ? Help us to see him in his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you can be seated. Um, we have seen that uh, over the course of this little series, we have seen that Jesus is the bread of life. We talked about that in John 6. And what, what we learned is that Jesus is saying that in order to live, you must feast on me. And in order for that to happen, he says, if, if you're going to live, I must die. So you have to feast on my, my body, my flesh, my blood. That was John 6, and the people who heard that were, were troubled by it. And then uh, later in, in John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And we talked last week about how this means he opens eyes to see truth and believe truth. You know, he healed a blind man, and, and he said, uh, I am the light of the world. Um, so today, we're going to dig into yet another shocking claim that Jesus makes. And those who originally heard this claim, their immediate response was to pick up some stones and to try to kill him. That was their immediate response. So here's what we discover, is that Jesus is making a claim that everybody hated at this point. So before we get to this personal claim, I want to get to the immediate context of it. I want us to see what's actually happening, what, what's going on. And what we find as we read most of this chapter is that there's, there's a pretty strong argument. There's a, a lot of people mudslinging, a, a fight, a verbal fight is going on between Jesus and these Jews. I mean, they're bringing his mama into the argument. They're talking about his heritage. They're calling him a, a Samaritan. They're, they're accusing him of having a demon, um, and they're threatening to kill him. All those kinds of things are happening. And in this moment, we see something pretty spectacular about the character of Jesus. We see that he's both strong and kind. Jesus is not a weakling. He's not a, a mush ball that when somebody comes at him viciously, he just melts but he's strong and kind. Um, just this week I was reading uh, in my daily devotion in John 11 um, about uh, Jesus' interaction at the tomb of Lazarus. And I love this because he comes to Lazarus' tomb and, he, and he, he comes into a setting where he knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead and yet he comes alongside people who are mourning and weeping and how does he react? Jesus wept, Right? Why did he weep? I mean, he knew Lazarus was going to come from the dead. He could have just said, hey, guys, don't, don't weep. No big deal. Let me fix this. But he didn't. He, he pressed into their emotion. He pressed into their... He's sympathetic, right? So we see that Jesus is strong and he's kind. In this passage, he's incredibly strong. Jesus makes some really strong and hard statements. Just to get the context, we're going to walk through these quickly, but... Here's some of the things he says. In verse 34, Jesus says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So let me say it to us this way. If you practice sin, you are a slave to sin. That's a strong statement. And, and the immediate response he got was, 
We're not slaves to anybody. Well, here's what Romans 6 tells us. It tells us that in Christ, Jesus died so that, Romans 6, 6 says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then Romans 6, 22, listen to this verse. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. So here's what Jesus is saying to them and to us. If you practice sin, you are a slave to sin. But I've come so that you may have freedom and then be a slave to God. So that's his second strong statement is this. There is freedom in the Son. In Jesus, there is freedom. He says it this way, a very famous verse. He says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. I love the way he says that. It's a decisive thing. There's nobody going to come back around and go, nah, you're not really free. No, this is decisive. If the sun sets you free, you're free. The third thing Jesus says, a strong statement. He says, you are not a child of God if you do not love Jesus. I want you to look uh, at verse, um, let's see, it's, uh, it's verse 42. In verse 42, if you were... If God were your father, you would love me. That's what Jesus says. If God were your father, you would love me. So here's the bottom line. Jesus is God the Son. If you reject Christ, you reject God. And this is the ultimate test. All over the world, no matter who you are or where you are, this is the test of whether or not you have a real relationship with God Almighty. If you reject Jesus Christ as the Son of God who shed His blood for the sins of the world, then you are rejecting God Himself. Everything hinges on what you do with Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 and 19 says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and all the fullness of God dwells in Him. So whatever you do with Jesus, that is what you do with God. Something else Jesus says in verse 44, the fourth thing he says in verse 44, this is super strong. This is probably not going to rest on a lot of people very well, and it certainly didn't in that day. But here's what he says. If you're not a child of God, you are a child of the devil. Now, I want you to hear that. If you're not a child of God, you are a child of the devil. Verse 44, Jesus gives that directly to them. He says, you think you're Abraham's children, but I'm telling you, your father is the devil. You want to murder me. That's just like him. He's been trying to do it from the beginning. You're a liar, just like your father. He, he speaks lies out of his native tongue. So Ephesians 2 reiterates this, this whole theme. Uh, when Paul's writing, he says, uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's the devil as the, quote, sons of disobedience, and as, quote, children of wrath. If you're not children of God, you are children of the devil. There is no middle ground, and you cannot be neutral when it comes to God. You're either God's child or you're a child of the devil. Now, just like that's hard to hear now, it was incredibly hard to hear then. The fifth thing Jesus said, if you are not a child of God, then you cannot hear the words of God. 
This is a pretty sharp attack to people who think they've been hearing God's word all their lives. They're the people who think they've, they've got a direct line to God. These are Jews. But Jesus says, you do not hear the words of God because you are not of God. That's verse 43 and verse 47. And here's what Jesus is going to say later in John 10. He's going to say, my sheep know my voice. What he means by that is if you don't know my voice, you're not my sheep. All through the New Testament, this, this phrase comes out from the Holy Spirit. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Ears to hear. So in order to grasp the words of God, you must have spiritual ears. In order to see the truth of Christ, you must have spiritual eyes. What does that mean? Well, it means we're saved by grace. In order to really see the truth of Jesus, you have to have your eyes opened. In order to hear the gospel and love it, you have to have your ears open. You need Jesus to make you ready to receive his truth. Now that informs how we pray for our lost friends, right? It helps us to know how to pray for people. We, we pray, oh God, please open their eyes to see. Please God, open their ears to hear. We pray first and foremost that God would act so that the sinner can then receive the truth of the gospel. So now I want to get to our primary text. And what we're going to see is three main ideas. Quickly. The primary text, with all that set up, they've been back and forth with a lot of argument, a lot of fighting, and Jesus has made some very strong statements. And now here he comes with a bold promise. His bold promise is in John 8, 51. He says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus' promise is unbelievable. Like literally, in that moment, it was immediately rejected. Soon as Jesus made that promise, everybody said, well, now we know you've got a demon. You're absolutely crazy. Right? That's how they respond to him. And here's their logic. They said, well, Abraham died. The prophets died. Are you greater than them? Are you greater than Abraham? Greater than the prophets? I mean, they're saying the best among the chosen people of God died. You can't make a promise like that. Who do you think you are? And I mean, I kind of get it, right? It, it kind of makes sense. Just last year, Billy Graham died. And every day, people who walk faithfully with Jesus die. So what exactly is Jesus promising? If he says to us, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Well, I think it would help us to have a couple other verses to pull in for clarity's sake. So one of those is in John 11, just a few chapters over. And we're going to spend time in this passage in a few weeks, so I don't want to spend much time here. But here's what Jesus says at the tomb of Lazarus, a dead man. And Jesus says this, Whoever believes in me, though he die." Yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus is adding some clarity to his promise that he made here in John 8. He's saying, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus, you know, he waited four days to get to Lazarus' tomb so that Lazarus would be dead without question. Then he said this promise so that... Um, people would realize that he means business. And then he does 
the work of raising Lazarus from the dead, just to show that he has the power to honor his promise. Well, in John 5, verse 24, there's another verse that gives us some clarity. Here it is. Jesus says this, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Listen to that. The verb tensing here matters significantly. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It's not something you're waiting for, not something you get when you die. It's something you have in the moment of salvation. Then he goes on to say, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Oh, this verse gives us great clarity. It helps us to see that eternal life for the Christian doesn't just begin at the moment of death. Rather, it begins at the moment of new birth. That's how Jesus talks about salvation is being born again. In John 3, that's what he says. He says that you are born not of flesh, but of the Spirit. John 3, 6. So this life is eternal. It is invincible. Not even death can stop the life of God in you. For the Christian, death is not the end. In fact, the life you have with God today will never end. You will not see the end of it. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you believe in me, if you keep my words, you will not see death. You will not see the end of your fellowship with Christ. You will not taste the end of it because there is no end to your eternal life. Listen, the eternal union and fellowship with Jesus will not be broken, not even for one second. Isn't that awesome? Not even for one second. So the Bible says in the moment that you're absent from the body is present with the Lord. Isn't that great, beautiful truth? Death is a fulfillment of the promise that we are living in right now. And Jesus says, whoever keeps my word shall never see death. So then there's a big question that comes from this. So we, got, we have a, a, a bold promise now, a big question, and they say, who do you make yourself out to be? And that makes good sense, because if, if I make a promise, like if I said um, to Leslie over here, if I said, hey, I'm gonna, I promise I'm going to give you a million dollars, she's going to say, who do you think you are, Bill Gates? Because in my identity, I don't have those resources. They're not available to me. So the identity question, is, it makes total sense. I can't make a promise that I don't have the resources to, to keep. So when Jesus makes this promise, they question his identity. Who do you think you are to, to promise us that we will never see death? Everything is pointing to this. Who does this guy think he is? How can he make such a claim? And it all goes back to identity. Every time, this is the question. Who is Jesus? Listen, if you've been reading through John with us, here's what we've seen. God gave us the Sabbath. Who do you think you are to break God's law? That's how, that's how that goes every time Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Only God can forgive sin. Who do you think you are? And here we have people who keep your word can live forever? Who do you think you are? This question of the identity of Jesus is the reason why we are doing this study is to resonate or to let this truth resonate within us. So here's the biblical fulfillment now. We've had a bold promise, a big question, and the biblical fulfillment. And here we go. Jesus is 
the I am. That's our big thought for the day. The central idea of this text is that Jesus is the I am. And we're going to unfold what that is. But it's a biblical fulfillment. The scripture says in John 8, 58, Before Abraham was, I am. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, let's be clear. He's not saying that he predates Abraham. This isn't just about timeline, or else he would have said, Before Abraham was, I was. He's just trying to say, I was here before Abraham, guys. You should trust me because I'm, I'm just that old. That's not what he says. This is an intentional identity statement. And they knew exactly what he was saying. That's the reason they picked up their stones. Because they knew he was not just claiming to predate Abraham, which would have been an amazing claim in itself. But Jesus was claiming to be the God of Abraham. That's why they wanted to stone him. Leviticus 24 actually gives that mandate. It says anyone, any man who blasphemes the holy name of God should be stoned immediately. So the amazing thing, the ironic thing, is these guys are picking up stones to obey the law that the man in front of them gave them the law. Isn't that wild? They're picking up stones to obey the law from the lawgiver. They're trying to kill the lawgiver. It's just wild. And Jesus is like, that's good, guys. I actually made that law. Um, I was here for that. Um, here's the crazy thing. They intended to kill him because of this statement. And he intended to die based on this claim. Jesus is the great I am. That's what he's telling us. And, and here's the origin of that. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with the origin of that title, I am, God gave himself that name in Exodus 3, verse 14, when Moses is at the burning bush, and uh, from this burning bush, the voice of God says, I want you to go to Egypt and liberate my people, set them free. And Moses, in his stutter, he says, uh, well, who, who, who should I tell him has sent me? I mean, if I'm going on behalf of some voice in a bush, you got to at least tell me who's sending me. And God says, you tell him, I am is sending you. That's the name Yahweh. It's, it's the name of God. We, we call it Jehovah. But it's in your Bible, it's written Lord in all capital letters. It's the Yahweh God. It's his eternal presence. This is the God that delivered his people from slavery in Egypt through the ten powerful plagues, right? This is the God that miraculously parted the sea while the Israelites walked through on dry ground. And when their Egyptian enemies chased them, this God buried the whole army in a watery grave. This is the great I am. And Jesus is saying, I am that God. I am the one that Abraham longed to see and in faith he saw my day and he was glad. I am the biblical fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. It's all pointing to me, Jesus says. He says, you love your heritage about Abraham and that's great. You love the law that Moses and the prophets have given you and that's also great. But you want to kill me based on that law, and you're unable to see that the prophets were actually speaking about me. So they asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And Jesus answered, I'm not just greater than your father Abraham, I am the God of Abraham. 
So here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is this. In Jesus, God became man, lived perfectly fulfilling the law. Though he was sinless, he humbled himself to die the punishing death of the cross. His promises of eternal life for those who believe in him would be validated just days after his death by his own resurrection. And it's on this claim that Jesus laid the foundation for the church. Listen to me. This is the reason we gather. This is the reason you're gathered in your living room or in your car or wherever you are. The reason is because of this claim that Jesus is making. In Matthew 16, verse 16, you know, Jesus had asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And then he said, Who do you say that I am? And after a lot of guesses, Peter comes up and he says, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but the Father has revealed that to you. And then he says this, and on this rock, meaning on that truth and on the ministry and message of you, Peter, and you apostles, I will build my church. So here's the thing. The church, the reason we're doing what we're doing today is because Jesus is the one that God has sent. He's God himself in the flesh. So here's three quick takeaways for us. I started this message by saying, uh, you just don't know what you don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. Well, these guys that Jesus is talking to, uh, they didn't know what they didn't know. So here's some things I want us to, to wrestle with. Number one, you may not be who you think you are. In the discussion with these Jews, uh, Jesus talked with them. They thought they were something special. They thought they had a heritage in Abraham. And Jesus let them know, actually, you're, you're a slave because you practice sin. Actually, Abraham's not your father. Your father is the devil. Actually, you're not good people. You are murderous liars like your father, the devil. And he says, in, in fact, you think you have a direct line to God, but you are deaf to the truth. You can't hear it because you don't know God. So the takeaway is, you may not be who you think you are. And secondly, and most importantly, Jesus may not be who you think he is. A lot of people think that Jesus was a good teacher, a great historical character, a lot of people think he was sort of the, the manly Mother Teresa, so to speak, the guy who cared for the poor and loved the, the outcast, and that's true. But it's not all. Jesus may not be who you think he is. You know, C.S. Lewis and actually uh, Bono, believe it or not, um, <laughs> make the same claim. They say, you cannot say that Jesus is a good moral teacher and not say he is God. Because Jesus actually claimed to be God. Jesus may not be who you think he is. And lastly, this is most important. There is freedom from your sin and hope for eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. All through this gospel, this is the point. Jesus is offering to hope. He's offering hope and forgiveness and freedom 
to people who are under judgment. Think about who he's talking to in this text. He's telling them, you are of your father, the devil. And they are hurling insults and slander at him. They're calling him all kind of terrible things. And he says to them, if you will just keep my word, you could live forever. That's what Jesus is saying. If you'll just keep my word, you could live forever. Here's the deal. There is freedom from sin and hope for eternal life in Jesus Christ alone. If you've never uh, put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. Uh, you can reach out to us online uh, via email, phone call, however, and we'd love to talk you through what that looks like. But if you're a Christian listening to this right now, which I presume probably most are, as this is our faith family uh, distantly walking through the text together. Here's what I want you to hold on to. Number one, you may not be who you think you are. So humble yourself because you don't know what you don't know. Be humble. Humility is, is the best way to follow Christ's example. Secondly, Jesus may not be who you think he is. He is the God who came to rescue you. He's the one whom you can look to for hope and assurance today. In moments of fear, you can turn to the one who came not just to save you, but to keep you. Put your hope in Christ. You don't know what you don't know. So believe in the one who does. Trust in Jesus. He is the great I am. Amen. Let's pray together, and then we're going to worship one uh, last time with, with just a, a song that expresses uh, our faith in Christ in the midst of a storm. We put our faith fully in Him. Would you pray with me now as we uh, sing? Uh, and I want to encourage you uh, just to take this time to be quiet where you are, just for a moment, and respond to the truth that we've talked through together this morning. So... Um, take a moment, pray, and then sing with us, and we'll be finished for the day.